0: Can we just give it a hand for our worship team one more time? I just, thank you so much for all that you do. They, I mean, they literally, like a month in advance, they're planning out, praying, seeking the Lord of what songs they, what songs they should sing, what scriptures should they read. And so there, there is a lot that goes into what we just experienced. And I love what we were singing and just that we were just, that the love of God will pour out over us. And that's been kind of our, our, our heart's cry for this series we've been in called Real Love. And in this series, we've been breaking down Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. And it says this, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him, talking about Jesus, with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so this is the passage we've been breaking down this series. The first week, Pastor Tim, he talked about what it really means to love God. And then the following week, he talked about what is it really, how does it look like to love ourselves? Because we can't really love other people well if we don't love ourselves well. And then last week, Tim gave an amazing message on what it looks like to love other people the way Jesus loves them. And I know what some of you may be thinking right now. Well, it looks like we've covered all of it. Like, why do we need a week four? It looks like we've we've covered everything we possibly could out of this passage. Here's why we need a week four. Because it's easy for all of us, and me included in our human nature, to look for the loophole out of loving someone. It's very easy for us to to look for any excuse not to actually love people the way Jesus loved them. And there's, there's a certain kind of person that I think all of us struggle to love. And what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the person who's wounded you. For some of you, it may be the one who said a cutting word to you when you were a kid. That still cuts today. Maybe it's the one who has opposite political beliefs as you, and every time you voice your opinion, they're quick to slander you to everyone that they know. Maybe it's the spouse that was unfaithful to you and divorced you and ruined your marriage. And 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 they stole a loving, Wholesome marriage from you. And maybe, maybe every month you have to pay the money. And every time you, the money leaves your, your banking account, all you can think of is how much they've wounded you. Or maybe, maybe often your kids have to go see them and they have to have joint custody. And so every time your kids go and see them, all you can think about is why do, why do they get to have the kids for this time when they're the one that destroyed my family? Maybe it's, it's the one who gossips about you, the one who slandered you to where other people believe the lie to this day. Maybe it's a spouse that you're currently married to and the one who's just totally checked out of your marriage and decided to stop loving you. Maybe it's the person who said they'd always be there for you and at the first sign of trouble they jump ship for what seemed like no good reason at all. Maybe it's the one who decided to drive drunk and they crash into someone you love, either killing them or crippling them for life. Maybe it's the boss or the manager who mistreats you, who's cruel, who tries to work, to work you to, to the bone. Maybe it's the doctor who, who, when you told them about the illness or the injury that you had, they just, in, the, in apathy, they just decided not to treat you. Or maybe it's the surgeon that when you had a surgery in a supreme act of negligence, maybe they, they did something that never should have been done and you are feeling that physical pain right now. Maybe it's the parent who abused you as a kid that crippled you in every area of your life, including having relationships with other people. Maybe it's the spiritual leader. Maybe it's the pastor who who was supposed to be like Jesus, who was supposed to seek on earth as it is in heaven, but instead they made your life a living hell. These are the people that we try to look for the loophole for. The people that have wounded us. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that these kind of people are the hardest to love. And so this is, and Jesus addresses this issue head on in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27 through 36. Jesus is teaching to a crowd of people and he says this But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Here's the tough pill to swallow from this passage. There are no loopholes out of loving people. And real love doesn't look for loopholes. And what distinguishes the love of God from worldly love is to love even when you've been wounded. And so the question that a lot of us might be wrestling with is how do we love those who wounded us? We may not even know where to start. Because if we're being honest, this is one of the hardest or if not the hardest teaching From God and command from God. Notice in this whole passage there there was no suggestion like if you feel like it do this. It was all commands. And so the question I want to ask today is how do we love those who mistreat us? How do we show the love of God to those people who have wounded us deeply? And today we're going to hone in on three ways to love people who have wounded us. And the first is this. Do good to them. Say that with me. Do good to them. And we get this straight from verse 27 of the passage we just read. And let's review it. It says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You see, here's what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, do nothing to those who hate you. Jesus didn't say, avoid those who hate you. Jesus didn't say, cut the toxic people out of your life. Jesus said to do good to those who hate you. And here's the truth. You can't do good to someone you're avoiding. Because doing good is not just thinking good thoughts about someone. Doing good is action. And doing good actually requires proximity. And it's funny, through this passage, we we, we went over the golden rule. And it comes from Luke 6, 31. And let's review it again. It says, Do to others as you would have them do to you. And now what's funny is that our culture has twisted the golden rule. Usually what we think it means is, Okay, do to others as you would have them do to you as long... As they treat you right. But as soon as they mistreat you, all bets are off. But in the context of this passage, what Jesus is saying, treat others the way you want to be treated, even when they wound you. That's much harder, folks. You don't see here's the thing. Here, here, here's a misconception that a lot of us have. We, we think that we have to We we have everyone has to be in our inner inner circle, or they just they're just cut out of our lives. Here's the thing: you don't have to trust someone to do good to them. Like I think about with Jesus Jesus with Judas, Jesus did not trust Judas. Like Jesus knew that Judas was stealing money from him, and Jesus knew that he was going to betray him, but he still decided to do good to him. He still decided to wash his feet anyway. For me, there, there was this person who they would constantly ask me for money. Like they, they, they would say, hey, can you just like cover me for this meal? I'll pay you back later. And now the frustrating thing is they never paid me back. To this day, they haven't paid me back. And they, they like they owe me well over 100 bucks I just remember one time, like, we were at a game, and they asked for me to cover their food yet again, and I was just so frustrated. Like, what I wanted to say was, you know, I'll cover your food as long as you give me my hundred bucks back. Like, that was was what was going on in my mind. But in that moment, the the Spirit convicted me of that, and He brought me back to this passage where it says, "Lend "...lend to those who ask you without expecting anything in return." It's easy to do good to the people who are good to us. It is, it is a much harder thing to do good to those who mistreat us. And so, practically, how do we do good to those who mistreat us? One way is is to, is to do good with our hands. And what this looks like is this looks like serving the person who mistreats you. Maybe this looks like like maybe you have a terrible manager. And you just hate when they're on shift, and you would just you just wish that they every day. You're like, God, can you please just get them fired? Like that's like that's your mindset. And so I would encourage you: a way to do good to them is that when they ask you to do something, to do it in a timely manner and to go above and beyond for them. That's what it looks like to do good to those who hate you. Or maybe, or, or maybe when you're you're, you're moving snow and you're, and you're plowing snow from your yard, maybe it looks like moving the snow or cutting the grass of your neighbor's yard. And not your good neighbor, like the one whose dog always poops in your yard. And no matter how many times you talk to them, and they say, okay, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll watch out for that. And they never do. And it seems like every other day when you when you walk out of your house, you step and poop. That's the person that you need to, to do good to with your hands. Another way we can do good is with our possessions. And this looks like Giving. Maybe letting someone borrow something of yours that they need in that moment, or maybe they're struggling to pay the bills. You can do good with your possessions, with your wallet, and, and give to them without expecting something in return. This is what separates the love of God from the love of the world. Another way to do good to those who mistreat you is to do good with your mouth. And this one is probably the hardest one of the three. What does this mean? This means speaking good of them. Like finding the good of them. And you you know, you may have to look really hard. Like I'm not saying lie to them. But there's, there's always at least a sliver of good in someone because everyone carries the image of God. And so I would encourage you to ask God to help you to look for the good in other people, the ones who mistreat you. And you might have to use a microscope, but there is good in there. And when you find it, to speak that to them, and not just to them, about them. When the conversation comes up about them, don't gossip about them behind their back. Instead, speak good of them behind their back. When the opportunity comes up to speak about all the evil things they have done to you, I would encourage you to turn the other cheek just as Jesus does with us. So that's the first way we can love those who mistreat us is to do good to them. The second is this, pray for them. Pray for them. And we get this from Luke 6, verse 28. And we just read this, but I want to go over it again. It says this bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now I want to I want to notice I want you to notice something. Jesus said to pray for those who mistreat you, not to pray against. Like I think, I think of this movie, like if, if any of you have seen Spider-Man 3, and it came out a while ago, the old Spider-Man movies, but there's a villain in the movie, and he just, he hates Spider-Man. And he actually, he goes to a church, and there's a statue of Jesus, and he's praying to God. He's like, God, please kill Spider-Man. Like that's his prayer. But that is not what Jesus envisioned when he, when he told us to pray for others. That's praying against someone, not for them. You see, here's the truth. Prayer is powerful, and it really changes things. And praying for those who hurt you does just as much in your heart as it does in theirs. Like for me, when when someone hurts me, um, when I'm not walking in step with the Spirit, like my my initial kind of gut reaction, like my my prayer starts off usually is, God, please avenge me. Like my prayer is like, God, please just make them suffer. Make them pay for what they've done to me. And you're like, "Wow, does the pastor really pray that?" Yes, I do. Um, not proud of it, but that's but sometimes like that is my prayer. And as the spirit works on me more, like my prayers turn from that to God, please help me to forgive this person. I know I need to, but I don't know how to. And then eventually my my as the spirit works on me more and matures me, my prayers turn into, "God, please bless them. Please bless them in their job." God, please bless their car and let it not break down. Please bless, and, please bless and strengthen their family. Praying for those who've hurt us, again, it's not a suggestion, it's a command from God. And so what are, some, what are some practical ways we can pray for people who've wounded us? Maybe you don't know where to start. And I would encourage you, the first and best place to start is if someone has wounded you deeply and they don't know Jesus, the best prayer you can pray for them is just ask God that they would give their life to him. That's the best prayer you can pray for someone. And here's the thing, no matter how many times you've, you tell this person how they've hurt you, no, no, no matter how many times you express your, 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 your complaint to them, their offense to them, you're not going to change their heart. You can't make them feel remorse. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can transform a heart. And so I would encourage you to not try to do the Holy Spirit's job for him. But instead, ask the Holy Spirit to transform the person who wounded you's life. Another way you can pray for someone is to ask God to forgive them. Not just to help you forgive them, but for God to forgive them. And this is a valid prayer. Jesus prays this when he's on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Another way to pray for them is is to ask God to, to actually bless them in their life, to bless their job, to bless their marriage, to bless their family. These are all practical ways you can pray for those who've mistreated you. And so if you don't know where to start, I would encourage you to start there. So that's the second way that you can love those who've hurt you. The third way is this, show mercy to them. Show mercy to them. And we get this from the very last verse we read in that passage, Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Jesus says these words Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Being merciful is one thing, being merciful like God is a whole nother league and takes a lot more sacrifice. And here's what forgiveness really means. Like sometimes we can be confused on what forgiveness means. Sometimes we can think that forgiveness is just an emotion. But what forgiveness means is it means to literally to not hold an offense against someone any longer. It means to not hold someone's sin against them. That's what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness isn't an emotion. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a decision. For, for me in my life, um, recently within the past couple of years, like there was someone in my life who really wounded me and I really struggled to forgive. Like, and I was wounded deeply. Like I, I would remember just driving in my car and then something would just, would just trigger flashbacks of what happened and I would just break down in tears in the car. Like I would, I, like I, I would remember whenever the conversation came up about this person, like it was so hard for me to find the good in them. I couldn't find it. And I wrestled with, with this for a long time, but eventually my hurt turned into resentment and my resentment turned into bitterness and it was destroying me on the inside. I was getting better. I mean, I was getting worse. I wasn't getting better. And this is something that my, my accountability group, they, they called me out on. And, and you know, I think it's important to, to, to talk about the ways that we've been hurt to those who are close to us, to those who have godly wisdom and, and can help guide us and maybe show us the ways where we're wrong. But it's a whole other ball game to just slander someone to everyone you meet. But for me, I was talking to my accountability group about it. And eventually what turned into one week turned into a month. And eventually this turned into months on end. I would just nonstop, whenever the conversation came up about this, like it was just so obvious I was angry and I was bitter. I was angry and I was bitter. And I just remember like one day my, my accountability group just called me out on it. And they, 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 they told me, like they said, Christian, man, you are just holding on to that bitterness. And like here's the thing, like, like, like what happened to me, like the, the emotions that I was feeling was valid, but I was holding the offense over that person. And I could have chosen to let the offense go, but I was deciding to cling on to it. And eventually God convicted me of it. And, and see, here's why it was so easy for me to hold on to someone's offense. Hold, hold on to, to their sin. It was because I was I have for, I had forgotten how much God could hold over my head, but he doesn't. I had forgotten how much of my sin he's forgiven, how much I've wounded him, but he, decide, he decided to let go of my offense. And so if you're, if you're struggling to forgive someone who's wounded you, I would encourage you to start there. To start with, 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 with recalling back exactly what God has forgiven you of. Because when you're reminded of everything that God has forgiven you of, it becomes a lot more difficult to hold someone else's offense against them. And so, how practically do we be, how how are we practically merciful with those who've hurt us? One way we can be merciful is with our actions. To not hold someone's offense against them with our actions, what does this mean? This means to not constantly seeking for them to pay. Not going to everyone you know and saying, this person did this to me and they need to pay. Or maybe it's a person in your life who's already apologized, but you're still holding on to the offense. And whenever an argument comes up, you're quick to just dig up the past and dig up what they've done and hold it over their head. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is when you stop holding it over their head. Another way to be merciful is with your mouth. Like when they, when they apologize, let that be it. And to not gossip about them and slander to them, to all your friends, because God doesn't do that about us. When God forgives us, he doesn't, he doesn't go to all the angels and say, Hey, look at what this person done. They suck. God doesn't do that. Another way to be merciful is with your heart. And this may be the hardest one but this looks, this looks like really actually letting go of the bitterness. This looks like not day, stopping to daydream about all the ways that this person can pay. But stop thinking of all the scenarios where you could have said that cutting word in the argument and you could have won the argument. The Bible tells us to take all of our thoughts captive. And it's not just talking about lust. It's also talking about resentful thoughts and bitter thoughts. See, here's the thing. You can either hold someone's sin against them, or you can hold on to Jesus. You cannot do both. You can either hold on to someone else's sin, and you can let it degrade your life. You can let it rip you up inside. You you can hold on to that sin and let it keep you in bondage. Or you can hold on to Jesus who heals you. You can hold on to Jesus who sets you free. You cannot hold on to both. And here's the thing again, forgiveness is an action. You can forgive even if you're not fully healed yet. Like Jesus, like again, he, he prayed, he asked God to forgive them for they didn't know what they were doing, not after he was crucified. He didn't wait until he was resurrected and until he wasn't experiencing the pain anymore. To forgive them he did it while the nails were still in his hand again forgiveness is an action not an emotion and it doesn't mean when you forgive someone it doesn't mean you're still not going to feel the pain of what happened but it means you make a decision to stop holding on to their sin and so that's how we love those who hurt us and it's it's simple but it is incredibly hard Again, to sum up, the three ways that we can love those who've hurt us is to do good to them, to pray for them, and to be showing them mercy. If you don't know Jesus, here's kind of the bad news. You have wounded God more than you can ever know. All of us have. And because of that, what we deserve is we deserve God to hold that sin over our head for all of eternity. But God loves us so much, he doesn't want to hold that sin over us. And so he came to earth and he put on flesh and his name is Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave so that our relationship can be restored. And when you put your faith in Jesus or when you put your trust in him and you trust him with your eternity, and you give your life to him, he no longer holds that sin over your head. You'll be completely free from it. And if that's to you today, I would encourage you, to put your faith in Jesus right now. There's no, there's no ritual, there's no magic words you have to say. All you need to do is put your trust in him. God has given you this gift, this gift that we can never repay him. All that needs to happen on your end is to have the faith or the trust to receive that gift. And if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're struggling to forgive someone who's wounded you, Like maybe what happened four years ago is still at the forefront of your mind. And maybe every time the thought of them comes up, the anger you thought you let go of comes back like it never left. Like you may actually be a slave to sin. And I'm not talking about the sin you've committed. You might actually be a slave to the sin that someone has done to you. But there's good news for you today. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to set you free, not just from the sin you've committed, but from the sin that was committed to you. And here's the the reality. On your own, in your own strength, you cannot do these things. On your own strength, you can't do good to those who wound you. You can't pray for those who have mistreated you. You can't be merciful to to those who hate you. You can only do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in your own power. He's the only one that can set you free, where you can be free enough to love those who've wounded you. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to set you free, because He does want to set you free. And He will if you ask Him and you let Him envelop that part of your life, that bitterness that you're holding on to. And actually, we're going to be starting a Holy Spirit series in a couple of weeks, Talking about what does it mean to be empowered by the Spirit? Because here's the thing. Every area of our life, it's impossible for us to follow Jesus unless we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But especially in the area of forgiveness and loving our enemies. And so if that's you today, the Holy Spirit is giving you an invitation to be free. I'm begging you to not pass that up. As we go into a time of response, there'll be people who will pray for you at either cross. If you need someone to pray over you, and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to set you free, I would encourage you to come up. Again, the Holy Spirit has given you an invitation. Do not pass him up on that offer.